If you ever get the opportunity to go to a symphony, uh, there is nothing quite like it. There is nothing like going to a symphony. Since the first time that Charlotte and I went, uh, we have made it a goal to go annually. Uh, there's just something about the symphony. It's unique in that it's not just about being trendy. You're not going just to see the newest film like everybody else, uh, or to be in the know, or to see the latest, greatest actors. You're not there to say that you have some credit and you saw so-and-so band. You're there to take in something that is so unique and so interesting. It is an interesting experience even going to the symphony. Because as much as the sound is beautiful, when you arrive and you're sitting in your seat, they are warming up in front of you. They're not hiding away somewhere, tuning their instruments and warming up so that they come out all pristine and perfect. You sit and you wait as all of them, upwards of 80 people, are playing their instruments in all different notes, all different scales, all different songs, all at the same time. It is a sound that will drive you nuts. It's worse than sitting in a small room with 20 people holding 20 loud conversations and you trying to focus, going, well, I've lost it here. Sitting in the room preparing for this symphony to play, it'll make your head explode. And I'm not sure if they do that on purpose to make it like such an awful sound so that like five minutes later you think, wow, this is really beautiful. I don't know if they do that comparison on purpose. I doubt it. But it's, it's unbelievable, this, this awful sound that comes out of all these different things. They are uh, not doing scales with the person next to them. They are not saying, oh, let's just practice this part together, and it sounds a little off. No, no, no. You will have a violinist playing uh, one part of song A, and a trumpet playing one part of song B at the same time as a xylophone is doing scales, and a drum is beating a different beat, all together. It is chaos. It is chaos. All at the same time, this is how the symphony prepares. Until the conductor comes out. Then it all changes. Like that. That which was chaos and made no sense and was not pleasing to the ear, made no sense whatsoever, changes. They become one. All of a sudden, they have a single trajectory. One trajectory. One song. One leader. But what's interesting about that is they do not all become the same. When the conductor comes out in this oneness, doesn't mean, okay, only violins play now. They have oneness, yet they remain unique. They remain unique in their instruments, and beyond that, of their different sounds, they remain unique in their notes. You may have the same instrument playing different notes. In a single moment, you may have a cello and an oboe playing two different notes. But it sounds beautiful together. It sounds beautiful. It, what makes it so different from the warm-up session? What makes the symphony playing their piece by the conductor so different? It is because they have one trajectory. One song. And one conductor. The sound they create is called harmony. Different notes but yet they are designed to go together so that it sounds beautiful. It's amazing because the symphony, you don't just hear with your ears, you literally feel it. You feel what that song is supposed to mean. You feel the the lowness of the valley. 
You feel the lightness of the rain. You feel the stress and the hurry of a moment. All because they're following this conductor. There's such power in harmony. Our Bible verse this morning begins by telling us in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, look at God's word. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Focus on on verse 16 this morning. Each part could be separated and applied to your life at different points in different ways. And we will see that in due time. But we cannot separate verse 16, these phrases. Live in harmony, do not be haughty, associate with the lowly, and never be wise in your own sight. They are indeed connected on purpose. Live in harmony begins. This word even to start it says live. It's can't be assumed to be a past thought or a, a single moment. Like, oh yeah, well I did that. I was harmonious with a fellow person. No, no, it's talking about an active living. Live in harmony. Active participation is what is presented here in this command of God. Live in harmony with one another. So then what is this harmony that we're supposed to live in? What harmony is not is uniformity. It does not mean uniform. It does not mean looking all the same, acting all the same, dressing all the same, talking all the same. That's not what harmony means. Harmony doesn't mean that you react the same as the person next to you reacts when something happens. Or that you feel the same way as the person next to you. That's not harmony. Harmony isn't even believing the same thing of the non-essentials. That's not harmony. This is harmony. It requires playing the same piece of music. But you may be a different instrument. And you may be playing a different note. It's about being orchestrated in the one thing that matters. Following a single conductor. Jesus. It includes playing different instruments. It includes personalities. It includes different backgrounds. Different uh, economic classes. We are different. But yet, there is a oneness that is supposed to be in us. It's commanded to us. Live in harmony. Playing different notes doesn't mean that you're out of line. Unless you're following your own tune or beating your own drum. Living in harmony means following the one. What's amazing is, this tells us as much as we might be distinct from someone else, we must live in step with them according to God's design. The original context of this verse is likely aiming at the idea of racial harmony. You may be different race, but we have one goal, one Lord, one mission now. So it doesn't matter your race. Because here in this church in Rome, there would have been Jews and Gentiles who, just before their conversion, would not have even stepped near each other. They would have thought the other one was the scum of the earth. And so it's telling them, you are commanded to live in harmony, side by side. Yes, you may be different, you may eat different foods, you may speak a different language, but you ought to be harmonious. You are living one song with one conductor, 
do it for the sake of His glory. Because if, if you start playing your own tune in a symphony, who's going to look bad? It's going to look like the conductor or the composer had no clue what he was doing. Because no one knows that you're just a rebel. They think you're following your music. So it, it reflects poorly on the conductor. It reflects poorly on the composer when you do your own thing. And so this original intent was, doesn't matter what race you are. doesn't matter your family background. You're to live in harmony with each other. You are to get together around this one thing we've been talking about. Around this one thing, the gospel of God, and you are to do it together. What's beautiful, and just prior to reading this, as we've looked at, is the, the um, unity of the body, right? Like how the hand needs the eye, and how the foot needs the heart, all sorts of things. And it shows you the uniqueness of each part, but yet they are so interdependent. The same thing happens with, with these racial divides. It doesn't matter what a person looks like. You, you need them in the mission of God. God says, we are all a part of this family in Christ, so we ought to do this thing together. What's amazing to me is that we still, to this day, have black churches and white churches. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. When we speak the same language and we believe the same things, why is there still a black church? Why are people still talking about it? It's not so much in Canada. America, it's awful. But we still do in Canada have some black churches. There's a black Baptist association in southwestern Ontario. It's crazy to me. It's interesting because we speak the same language. I get it. If you speak Korean and you don't want to come here on a Sunday morning, I get it. But we speak the same language. Where's the harmony? The racial harmony. And because of our sinfulness and our differences, sometimes we think, well, I can't do life with them. They are so different. They are happy, clappy. They say amen every five seconds. Like, I can't do church with them. That's what these Jews and Gentiles would have been thinking. Like, well, they you know, they know all the laws. I can't do church with them. Like, let's just have our own little Gentile church. And God is commanding through the words of Paul, no, you are one. You follow one conductor and you speak one language. Get together. So, so racially, we must think, even ourselves, like, am I okay with other races in my life and doing mission together? Does it bother me in any way? Sometimes there is a sinfulness in us that we might not recognize at the outset until it's presented to us. You've got to be really careful and ask God, examine our hearts. Like, am I in any way dividing racially in a way that is breaking up this harmony. Another way that we can think of this harmony that ought to be applied to our life is, is generationally. Not just racially, but generationally. Are you willing to sit with, work with, go on mission with someone who is 50 years different than you? You are nothing alike. You don't share the same interests. You never watch the same TV shows. You, the person you're going with may not have grown up on TV. But are you together? Is what you're doing side by side for the mission of God beautiful? Because you're following one piece of music and one conductor. That is the gospel of God has transformed you both. And that's what matters to you. Like, what's amazing, they talk in race. is like, well, you know, I, I don't have, I'm, I'm colorblind. I can't see, you know, race and, and it doesn't affect me. Well, does generation affect you? Do, you? do you worship in the same way with someone who is so different from you in age? And oftentimes we don't. And you'll see this in churches that have worship wars, right? 
Like, oh, don't bring drums or electric guitar into this church. That's, that's you know, not how Jesus worshipped. Well, Jesus didn't worship with a piano either. And so when people begin to have these worship wars, it really is a generational problem. And they're not walking a step generationally. They're not living in harmony because of their generation. And they're saying, well, this is the way we do things. We're not like those younger folks. They are so different. You may have a problem here. If you think that you're afraid of young people taking over, or young people bringing in this thing or that thing, or dressing the way they dress, or talking the way they talk, or wanting to have a, a Christian rapper come here, and you're uncomfortable with that, it's likely because you're not living in harmony with them. You don't have the one thing in mind, the gospel of God in mind, that that is of utmost importance. I will set my differences aside. Yes, we dress differently, we talk differently, we grew up differently. But are we together? Are we together in the gospel? Another way that we can think of this is theologically. You may differ with someone on a second or third tier issue, but are you still in harmony with them? Are you still able to worship with them? Call them brother. Call them sister. Some people have a real problem with this. Others don't. You have non-denominational churches. Well, that's not true. They all have an affiliation with some sort of belief. It's affiliated. But the reality is, is most of those things are second and third tier issues. They do not matter. At the end of the day, when you say, I believe in Christ crucified, do you? They say, yeah. Believe how does a person get to heaven? And they say, only by believing in Jesus. Repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus and living for Him. You say, Amen. Uh, oh yeah, where do you go to church? Like, that does not matter in the end. It doesn't matter. The secondary things, the tertiary, third tier things do not matter. I differ with Presbyterians on certain things. We, we disagree slightly on the meaning of baptism and we disagree completely on the mode of baptism. But are they my brothers and sisters who I love and I agree with theologically on the things that matter? Amen. I do. And I'm glad to, to partner with them and pray with them for the salvation of souls, my neighbors. So theologically, I want to live in harmony with those who are following the same conductor, playing the same tune. And set all the secondary and third tier things to the side. The problem is that if we try to start playing a different song... If we try to play the song of baptism, then I've just ruled out my Presbyterian friends, my Reformed friends. But yet, we should be playing the same song. We believe in the same salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Let's sing that song. Let's play that song. Yes, you have a different instrument. That's not what matters. Harmony is what matters. So that means diversity. So we are okay that there is Presbyterian churches. Because there is diversity. Yes, they disagree on a secondary thing. But that's the amazing thing. If, if God just straight up said in the Bible, just clear statements about all the secondary things, then we could say, I can't partner with you. But he doesn't. God leaves things up to our interpretation, but that's where we must extend grace. God has been so gracious to us in like allowing us to uh, be wrong on so many things. So then we must say, you know what? Everything else is set to the side because I want to live a life that is harmonious. I want to sing a song. I want to, I want to do ministry. I want to live my life in harmony. Whether it's racially or generationally or theologically, I want to be in step with those who are in Christ. 
And that's where it comes to this one another. Who is in the same orchestra as you? It is those who have looked at themselves and said, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I need someone to rescue me. And they have looked to Christ. And by His grace, He has given them eyes to see and a heart to behold and repent and say, I can't live like this anymore. I can't trust in myself. I can't do this thing. I can't dig myself out of this pit. And they call on Christ. And He saves them and says, Welcome to my family. Welcome to my orchestra. Here's the tune we play, and I'm the conductor. That's who this one another is. Live in harmony with one another. It's really important that we know who that one another is. Because there are some people, like Oprah, who wants to tell you, oh, anybody who's spiritual is your one another. You better live in harmony with them. Don't disagree with them. Walk side by side with them and say, hey, we're, we believe the same things. Muslims and Christians do not believe in the same God. Muslims and Hindus do not believe in the same God. So there can't be harmony because you're playing a different tune. And so we must be careful. Who is this one another? Who do we partner with in terms of gospel ministry? Well, those who have believed in Christ. Jesus himself, I mentioned this weeks ago, but his prayer in John 17 is so beautiful. It's a prayer for us that we would be united, that we would be in step with one another, living in harmony. And he tells us the reason why he's praying this for us. He says this in John 17, 21. God, I'm praying that they may be one. Just as Father, uh, you are in me and I am in you. They, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. When we live in harmony, it is singing the song of gospel Because it means reconciliation. People who are different, people who should not get along, getting along. People who, uh, by grace, are loving another person. It's not because they deserve it, but because they have been so bestowed a gift upon. He says, when they are living as one, the world may believe that you have sent me. When the world sees people of different generations, of different races, of different theological uh, backgrounds, worshiping the one Christ together, serving on a single mission, they, they think something's up. Something is up. A Christ who has come and died in their place has transformed these people. That's what it means when people can see harmony. That they see the song we're playing. They feel the story. What is this story? It's a story of reconciliation. It's a story of grace. It's a story of love. They can feel the music of this harmony. What's off, what happens when a person is off and insists on their own way? When a person um, says, you know what, I, I can't worship with that person because they're a different skin color. Than me. It's so not gospel, is it? It is so a poor reflection of who Jesus is. When we say, I can't do that because they are different than me. That is not a reflection of Jesus. It tarnishes the reflection of Jesus. It tarnishes the church and the purpose of this orchestra that he has called together. He has called us together to portray this beautiful oneness, but harmony, a beautiful sound. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he asks... Uh, that the church would complete his joy, he says, by being of the same mind, 
Doesn't mean by being the same. Doesn't mean by uh, all just listening to the same music or dressing the same or, or talking the same or just being a cookie cutter Christian. He's not saying that. He says, be of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in accord and with one mind. And then he tells him how to do it. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind, this one-mindedness, is yours in Christ. The only way you will have true harmony is when you find your identity in Jesus alone. Not when you're finding it in your theological positions. Not when you're finding it in your race or your generation. That's not when you're going to have this true oneness. You're going to have it when you find your identity in Jesus alone. And there, it's amazing because it satisfies you in a hundred other ways. Not just in how you relate to other Christians. Find your identity in Jesus. This oneness of mind. This oneness in love. That is, that God has poured His love into us. Who is this one another? It includes all sorts of people that you would never probably sit with on another day. The next verse, or sorry, the next part of the verse helps us to apply this. Live in harmony with one another, it says, but do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be haughty. Do not be high and lofty. Do not be full of pride, so much so that you will not associate with the lowly. So when it's telling us to live in harmony, to have one mind, to to be of one, it says also with the lowly. Obviously there is a sinful tendency in you and in me and in the people in the church of Rome to not want to associate with lowly people. To to want to know people of pomp and importance. To, To know them, to be near them. To be with those who are rich and famous and not the lowly. It's sad because in Luke chapter 16, Jesus himself says, speaking of the Pharisees, says, For what is exalted, these men who, who make themselves all haughty, high and lifted up and pomp, says, For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. If you try to lift yourself up above other people and think less of other people, He says, that is detestable to God. God hates that. Because that's not a reflection of God's own character, is it? God loves without consideration of how much money is in your bank account. God loves without consideration of how big your house is. God loves. And so, if we are to not love in that way, we are not reflecting Him well. So when it tells us to associate with the lowly, you will never find a Christian who says, you know what, I'll pass on that. You won't. If you do find someone who has uh, intends to say, I don't associate with lowly people. I can't get near them. Someone who rolls up in a Bentley and has security surrounding them as they enter church. What you have found is not a Christian. You have found someone who is abominable to God. You have found someone who sadly does not reflect the heart of Jesus. The very one who showed us the application of this verse to associate with the lowly. All the Pharisees of pomp, right? That, oh, they were real important people. When they saw Jesus, what do they say of him? Why does he associate with that woman? If, they, if he knew what that woman was like, he wouldn't even be near her. But there's Jesus. He gets down with the children. 
He touches the lepers, those who are social outcasts. He goes to the place of the sick and the mentally ill, and he's there. He's with them. He's associating with the lowly. So if you find a person who says, I'm a Christian, but I don't associate with people like that, you've not found yourself a Christian. you found yourself an imposter. An imposter. It's amazing to find that some of us have this tendency, though, at times, to not want to associate with the lowly. A sinful tendency, away from this sort of life that we're supposed to associate with the lowly. Perhaps it's the embarrassment of sitting with the homeless lady who lived outside. The embarrassment of sitting with a homeless person. What if people see me? Oh, what if she might smell? What do what, what people say? Sometimes we have that embarrassment, don't we? How many times do you walk by a homeless person on the street because you think, oh, you know, they're, and you, you assume, you prejudge things about their life, about what they're going to do, or you just don't have the time of day for them. Because you don't associate with the lowly. It is, it is, I can guarantee you it's a sinful tendency in your heart. It's a sinful tendency in my own heart. And here's the thing. I would even intend, I would set days aside, and I would intend to go to London, to go to Toronto. And my sole mission was to sit with homeless people, have lunch with them, and share the gospel. And that's my sole mission. Like I had like prayed and prayed for these days. And even on mission, and thinking in my mind, this is what I'm here to do, I would still be embarrassed. I would still go, oh, I'm not sitting with that guy. It's really embarrassing. He's acting really strange. He seems out of it. I would have a hard time associating with the lowly. But what if that lowly person is a brother or sister in Christ? All the more we ought to sit with them in harmony and, and preach the gospel to encourage their soul. And if they don't yet know Jesus, how much more do they need you to be willing to apply this verse, to apply Christ to your life? I need to associate with the lowly. I don't need to be haughty. I don't need to be high in pomp. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you can sit down with a homeless person. Buy them lunch. Share your love for Jesus with them. Associate with the lowly. Because that reflects our conductor. It reflects our composer of the piece that we are supposed to be playing together. He is the one who was our greatest example of associating with the lowly. One who associates with the lowly is a reflection of Jesus and it sings a wonderful and beautiful song. Why would you ever do that, people say? Why would you ever sit with them, get dirty with them? Because my Savior did. Associate with the lowly. God associated with you. Perhaps you don't think of yourself as lowly, but consider yourself to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You're the dust of the earth. Isaiah says you're a worm. And yet, God in Christ came near to you. Wrapped his arm around you and said, I love you. I want to embrace you. I want you to be my family. And then, if you repent and believe in Jesus, then God says, more than just being beside you, I'm going to dwell in you for the rest of your days. God himself is associated with the lowly in you and in me. So then let us sing the same tune. Yes, in different ways. Yes, with different approaches. Yes, with different words that we say. And that's okay. But we're doing the same thing. We're singing the same song. We're reflecting our conductor and all that he desires for our life because it says that he is worthy. 
So we do it. We do it. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And another way in which we can do this is to never be wise in your own sight. A person who is wise in their own sight is the furthest thing from humble. If you're wise in your own sight and you're in a symphony, you think, well, that composer didn't really mean to do that. Uh, I know better. Let me just play this line. Uh, the conductor, he seems to be off. I know better. Let me just play this way. And what does that do for the symphony? It ruins it. It tarnishes the picture. It tarnishes the sound. So when God, in Christ, has one mission for you and for me to, to preach the gospel, to go into all the world and, and make disciples of all nations, when He has that mission for us in Christ, and we say, well, I'm going to just take a detour here, the song sounds off. It sounds off. And so then, we never be wise in our own sight, insisting on our own way. You know, If God's putting things in your way, difficult things, trying things, don't say, oh, this... I think I'll go a different way because this can't be God's design for me, can it? Like, that must not be what God wants. No, don't be wise in your own sight. But in prayer, come to God with godly people around you. Let them preach the gospel to you and say, the gospel, through the gospel, is suffering. The way of the gospel is persecution. As we looked last week, right? Jesus says, if, you, if they persecuted me, they will surely persecute you. So the way is not pomp and haughtiness. It is not uh, comfort and ease. So embrace what God has given to you. Do not be wise in your own sight. In Proverbs it says, Do you see the man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope than a fool for him. If you think that you are wise in your own sight, you are the most foolish person in the room. So instead we just humble ourselves in the sight of God and say, I trust you. I trust you. And I trust that that person, as much as they're playing different notes than me, that they're following you. And so my job is to trust you and follow the notes you've shown me to play. This is what it means to live in harmony with one another because when we do, it paints this beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus. He has so called you out of a life of darkness, a life of selfishness, a life of individualism, and He's called you into His family for a purpose. So that together... We might sing one tune, the praise, who is worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Oh, I love it when I read Revelation. And just that one day that we get to all together sing, worthy is the Lamb who was slain with the elders. Worthy. Oh, worthy. I can't wait for that day. That day's going to be in harmony. It's not going to be in unison. It's not going to all sound the same. There's going to be people speaking Swahili. Singing, worthy is the Lamb. It's going to be people speaking Korean. What are they going to be speaking? Urdu? All the languages of the world, they will be singing His praise. And that's going to be harmony. Let us not then get in the way of that. Even now in this moment, even amongst our own people, even amongst our own community of Christians. If you know a brother or sister in Christ, intend on harmony with them. The end of the verse, which we'll look at uh, in the weeks to come, says, If at all possible, live peaceably with all. It's a job. It's a hard job. Because we are selfish. But this passage tells us that we have one tune that's going to glorify God if we live in light of it. If we humble ourselves, we're not wise in our own sight. If we say, God, help me. 
Help me, because I do not naturally do this. I insist on my own way. I'm an individual. I want to be a soloist. I think I got the song right. My way is the right way. My note, my instrument. Not so in the orchestra of God. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And let us do it all for His honor and for His glory to the end of the age. Let us pray to that end. God, you are indeed worthy. You made us. You sustain us. You uphold the world by the word of your power. You should destroy us in a moment. Your wrath is so right to come upon us, but God, you are so gracious to us and you have called us out of darkness and into marvelous light if we would so repent and believe the gospel. Thank you, God, that it was so available and so free that you have made it not complicated that we need to go through 20 loops to get to you, but instead you have opened our eyes. And God, if we would just call on Jesus, we would be saved. We thank you for that. And that in that you have called us to a new song. A song that will sing that you are worthy, that you are one, that you are holy, that you are great, that you are worth our whole lives. God, will we lay ourselves down? So that we can live in harmony. Would we lay ourselves down so that we can associate with the lowly? God, would you help us to lay ourselves down so we would not be wise in our own sight, but instead we would follow you with our whole hearts, with our whole minds, with our whole selves, so that we can love you as we ought to. God, we need your help in this. Would you send your spirit and help us in a a special way, even today, we pray for his glory and in his name. Amen.